Have you ever wondered what it was like to make a horror movie? Have you ever wondered what goes on in the mind of famous horror directors? Have you ever wondered what it would be like to direct a movie wearing pantyhose and angora sweaters? This is Biopics episode here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer and welcome gang it's time once again for another episode of attack of the killer podcast this is episode 207 and it's going to be a little bit different than normal because we're not <laughs> really talking about horror movies per se this episode Man, your voice got really high up there. did it really really the movies we are talking about they're not horror films but they are biopics about horror directors so it counts it's a jason it were it does count and he's a jason that's right. Tint. Now, if you've never heard the show before, what we do usually talk about is horror movies. We're a group of friends who get together, we pick a topic, we discuss movies within that topic, and we talk freely as if any other time we were hanging out just talking about movies. So there's probably going to be spoilers, just so you know. Uh, the show, our show, along with many, many, many other shows, can be heard on the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. What is the Prescribed Films Podcast Network? It's our podcast network, um, or as we call it, the PFPN. It's a vastly growing independent podcast network that provides all kinds of podcasts for all kinds of tastes, shows ranging in different topics and styles, from movie reviews to independent music to conspiracy theories. One of those shows is the amazing and hilarious Lunch Break. Oh, man. Yes. So funny, these dudes. <laughs> oh, yeah. The show stars two hilarious guys, Landon and Joey, and they discuss various topics on the show. Have you listened to the latest episode, Jason? Yes. I have, too. The latest episode called Wash My Hands, George Washington, I Like to Eat Anges. Uh, I was I was laughing out loud. It's so freaking funny. Uh, they they talk about everything from like the Sunday funnies to coronavirus parody songs and you know various stories from their school days. So um, we also have so I would recommend checking them out. The lunch break. We also have two new shows on the network. I'm just so excited to talk about them. Uh, Beauty and the Screams and Customers always are also watched. So that makes a total of 22 shows on the podcast. It just keeps going, man. just keeps growing and growing. So Beauty and the Screams, it's two sisters, uh, Jennifer and Emily, as they cover, uh, they talk about like dark and dreary stuff. And then um, customers always also watch. Why am I saying always? Also watched is a bi-monthly show discussing, um, <clears throat> discussing movies on... Uh, on Prime, so you can check out those shows, all the other shows, on thepfpn.com, and you know that's what you would type in, t h e p f p n dot com. Nice, check it out. It's good stuff. And now I want to take this moment and give a shout out to our sponsor, Shutter. Shutter is an online streaming service for all things horror, movies, TV shows, podcasts, short films, documentaries. If you are a fan in any way of horror, this is the service for you. I'm telling you. Do it. Sign up. 
We talk about Shudder all the time on the show because it's one of our main resources for the films we discuss on the show. That is how awesome Shudder is. Now, you can get a month for Shudder for free from all of us here at Attack of the Killer Podcast. Just enter our promo code AOTKP and get started with your first month free of Shudder. Do it. That's promo code AOTKP. Now, how would you like to... um, have more Attack of the Killer podcast in your life. I know you're asking, how? How can I possibly get more Attack of the Killer podcast in my life? It's easy! Go to Patreon and become a sponsor of the show. Here at Attack of the Killer podcast, our supporters, we call them the Attackers. And they are an important part of our podcast family. Now, a lot of times, you know, with family, you'll share things that you normally wouldn't with others. And being an attacker, we share with you so much more of Attack of the Killer podcast content. We've shared a heck of a lot of personal stuff on there, too. (laughs) Those attackers got a lot of the goods. Yes, yes. And now they're having to see their doctor. Um, So, bonus episodes. You get my series, Insane Mike's One Minute Top Ten Lists. Special videos. New uh, monthly series called Killer Critiques. And so much more available to you for becoming an attacker and supporting the show. So go to patreon.com, AOTKP, and become a supporter of the show today. We'd greatly appreciate it. And we appreciate it so much that we give back so much more to you. Do it. Do it. I'll wait. (laughs) Do it. Do it now. (laughs) And now it's every... And now... Okay. And now... It's time for everyone's favorite moment. The moment you've all been waiting for. Time to introduce you to... Dot, dot, dot. The podcast crew. He had several biopics made about him. Such movies as A Tad Good Men. Tad Good, The Bad and the Ugly. Tad Good, Will Hunting. And Tad Good, Morning Vietnam. Andy Wassum, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Okay, that that was a swerve. I wasn't expecting that. Hello. <laughs> That's okay. The, the I, that, that was a tad overdone. But, ah! uh, the, the, that was my best one. They all go downhill from here. He watched the wrong movies for this show. He accidentally watched the movies on Pornhub. So instead he watched Ed's Wood and Hitchcock, or Hitch, Hitch's Cock. Damn it. I fucked it up. Tad good, everybody. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> nice try. And lastly, he thought Steven Seagal starred in his biopic, but it turns out Fire Down Below wasn't about him at all. Jason Bollinger. Hey, what's up, everybody? Are you picking on me because I used to have a ponytail? I'm picking on you because you need to have that checked out. Oh, yeah. It shouldn't burn that much when you pee. Okay, so I'm going to turn it over to Tad. Tad, what you got for us? We're going to go right into what we watched, where we talk about... All the things we've watched since we last recorded. I'm feeling uh, saucy tonight, so I'm just going to go ahead and invite myself to go first, because I have quite a bit. I think we all might, because we're all (laughs) forced to be at home, but... um, I'm just going to go right through them. I, I watched The Art of Self-Defense with Jesse Eisenberg, which oh, is so something good. Jason talked about. That's a weird one, but All it's right. definitely awesome. I was not sure going in 
how much I, I figured I'd like it, but the the tone is so weird. Very Napoleon dyna, Dynamite dry, deadpan humor, but it's also very violent and serious at times. Yeah. It's, it's it's strange. Something you just have to see. I can imagine that's going to be like a cult classic, and uh, down the road, people either love it or hate it. Yeah. Um, before we did our last um, green room Netflix party, I I sort of did a test run and we did Bloodsport. So I watched that with some friends on Netflix. One of my favorite Van Damme, probably is my favorite Van Damme movies. Love that one. Um, watched Angus, which is one of my favorites. You guys familiar with Angus? Never have seen it. That's the heavy set kid with um, uh, James Vanderbeek in there. Yeah, too, right? yeah, yeah. It's been a while since I've seen it. Anyone else familiar? No, I haven't seen it. I know which no. one you're talking about, I'm too, I'm guessing though. by the silence that you you can hear me, you're just not answering. What? Uh, <laughs> you guys haven't heard of or seen Angus before? Never seen it, but I have heard of it. Man, mm-hmm. th- th- this is like something, this is like a big movie of my childhood. It, it, I think it bombed at the box office and then became sort of a cult thing later. It has a great soundtrack, uh... Always makes me cry. Great movie, but it never. I don't even think it's made it to DVD. It's on like stopped at VHS for some reason. Huh. But uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. I highly suggest it. Uh, I, I don't have much horror in here. I'll be honest. So I'm just gonna blaze through some of these. I watched Face Off with Nick Cage and John Travolta. Nice. I've seen it about 300 times. And uh, when I told Nikki I was watching it again, she asked why because there was a time <laughs> when we were watching it once a week for. A long time, it was on stars like every night, and so I just stopped and put it on, and she hated it. <laughs> um, hey, man, it's John Woo's last good movie. I love that movie, and oh man, I could, like I said, I could watch it once a week and not get tired of it. One of my favorites. Love that. No one. more drugs for that man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Cage and Travolta at their sort of, sort of uh, '90s action peak. Yeah. Um. I watched a couple documentaries that I think will tie into, at least one of them will tie into this episode. Uh, I watched 7852, which I started once and didn't finish, and so I wanted to go back and start it all over again. I'm assuming some of you have seen this one. Yeah, I saw that you were watching it. Yeah, that movie's fucking awesome. Wait, what is it? You've seen it, about the psycho shower scene. Oh, yeah, that is awesome. Heck yeah. Oh. Oh, It's insane. An hour and a half movie talking about 30 seconds of film <laughs> and it's fantastic yeah, yeah. it's on uh, hulu if you want to check that out you can watch it on there it might be on canopy i'm not sure but canopy has just about everything and it's free through your local library so i'd suggest that um if you have seen tiger king i highly suggest you take check out tv junkie it's on um vimeo and yeah and on um youtube right now it's about, I think his name is Rick Kirkham. He's the documentarian who who was making oh, cool. a reality show about Tiger King. And uh, this came out, I think, in 2006. So well before all the Tiger King stuff even happened, he sort of had his own fame. Uh, it's about the rise and fall of his life. But it's so fascinating because this guy filmed like his entire life. I mean, like, the good, the bad, he would set up a camera and talk to it about his alcohol and drug problems, about his uh, problems with his wife at the time. Um, it, he would use it like a confessional, and 
I mean, he didn't turn it off for anything. So the you know when him and his wife got would get in a physical fight and the cops would show up, he would keep it rolling despite the cops telling him to shut it off. I mean, he recorded every second of his life, whether his kids were crying because they hated his guts, whether he was smoking coke crack, whether he was shooting up heroin. Um, and I mean, he went from you know, like I said, the top. He was the the lead. Uh, guy on inside edition he was on tv every night to you know being jobless uh homeless everything and he filmed every second of it and it's absolutely fascinating there's almost no storytelling it's just all the footage that he filmed edited together to sort of show unfiltered just yeah it's straight up like diary of a madman i mean that's what you're getting yeah and it's it's absolutely fascinating, but absolutely horrifying and uh, yeah. heartbreaking. But yeah. I highly recommend it if you've even if you haven't seen uh, Tiger King. This his he deserve you know he deserves just a watch on his own because his story, like I said, it, it's tragic, but it's also you learn something from it. I think you can be inspired by it. So and it's then kind of like uh, a great primer. Be- Sorry, Tad, but uh, it's no, a great no, primer before Tiger King. I think. Yeah, it's amazing that this guy has this story, and then you see him on Tiger King, and they, not one mention of that, no, not really any mention of his previous life. It's like, this guy's got a whole second life out of this Tiger King thing. It's like, this guy's lived more lives than anybody I know. What a story. <laughs> you know, when I saw this, because of Tiger King, this uh, documentary sort of getting a second wave of popularity. It played at Sundance. I mean, it wasn't like a small film. It was a big deal. At the time it came out, and now people are sort of putting the two and two together, realizing it's the same guy. Uh, like I said, you can find it on YouTube right now and on uh, Vimeo. And then the other one I watched, which is a rewatch, uh, I watched Perks of Being a Wallflower, which is always a sort of sad one. Nikki wanted to watch that, and she hadn't seen it before, and we watched that. And um, can't hardly wait. Watched that one last night. Neither horror, but just watching a whole lot of stuff. So that's what I watched. Uh, I will kick it over to Jason. What have you watched? So I've been wanting to watch it. I finally did. Um, there's that three-part series on Netflix called Dracula. Oh, yeah. They're like an hour and a half, 45 minutes, something. Each hour and a half episode? each, yep. Mm-hmm. So it's three different things. Any of you guys seen that? No, I haven't. Well, it's pretty cool. Um... Yeah, is like, it like a, a BBC production too, right? Yeah, feels like that. Um, so the first episode is fucking amazing. The second episode is pretty gosh dang good. They go in a little different direction, and then the third segment is like hundreds of years later and fucking weird and kind of shitty. I hate. I don't want to. I don't want to discourage you from watching it because you gotta watch the whole giant story and the whole arc you know but the the first episode is amazing it takes place in the very original times it feels so hammer horror <coughs> bless you thank you it feels very 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 hammer horror it's the the gore and the effects are amazing and it's awesome and the lore and the oh it's so good and then the second one is kind of around that same time and then just weirdly, that third, that third section is just not very good. Um, that, I wa- that seems to be a common thing I've heard from people. It's 
too bad. I wanted to love. I mean, I, I I wanted to love the whole thing, but I just I couldn't do that third. I mean, the, you got to watch it to see how it ends. And once it gets to the end, and you realize the whole story of um, these characters, then you're like, okay, on paper, I see how that is a beautiful arc. That's awesome. But it's like, it just felt like. Ah, I just went from, just imagine two episodes of Hammer Horror back in the day of the 1800s, whatever it was, 1700s, and then two episodes, three hours of that, and then episode, the last episode is Modern Times. And like kind the of descendants jolting. of, except for Dracula. Mm-hmm. And you're like, man. And then they try introducing some futuristic things. But I don't know. It's but at the end, it's like, well, that's pretty good. Um, I watched. Moving on. Uh, speaking of um, vampires, I, I, I hate to admit it. I don't hate to admit it. I guess, but I will admit it. I had never seen this film before. Nineteen seventy-nine, Salem's Lot. Really? I had never seen it, and I had to, you it's know, Toby Hooper, dude, had to get the Toby Hooper collection filled out. And it was awesome. I I really enjoyed it. It was great. I don't. I mean, everybody else has seen it, so I don't know what else I can say about it. But <laughs> but um, but I I dug it. Um, next up, oh, that's not hard. Coffee and Kareem. It's a new thing on Netflix. It was super hilarious. Um, it was. Oh, is that the com- Ed Helms? Ed Helms is a cop, and then there's a little black kid that's mouthy as hell, and then shit, and Betty Gilpin's in it. Who? Betty Gilpin. Okay. Who is from your wrestling show? Oh. Uh, and the Hunt from Glow. Yep. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Glow. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, and so it's super hilarious. You know, Ed Helms. It's super good. Uh, Tad got me. Able to push the social network button again. It's easy to do. It's one of the greatest movies ever made. Five stars all the way. Yes. I love, love, love it. Um, I'm super excited to watch Underwater uh, from this year. Yeah. That movie fucking ruled. It was awesome. It was everything I hate, love about underwater movies. And the being trapped and the drowning and the craziness and uh it was just 90 minutes of intense awesome and a holy shit ending really cool yeah fucking awesome um i'll steal this wait yeah i was gonna say yeah, yeah, yeah. A holy a holy shit intro like that movie doesn't waste a goddamn second of film like uh-uh. not a not a single frame it, it like the moment the screen turns on it's like a holy fuck moment like it never lets down oh yeah Instant, instant shit goes bad, and 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 for half of it, it feels like a awesome, you know, trapped in a single location type thing. It's you know very contained, and them trying to get to the ocean floor, and then by the end, it's like the most epic shit fucking ever. It's a pretty good. It's pretty good. I I, I liked it a lot. Uh, don't want to steal this from Mike, but um, we sat down and we finally watched Between Two Ferns. I actually forgot to put that on my Yeah. Mind. I'll let him talk about that one. Um, love it, love it, love it. Um, I watched, so Tina and I watch a shit ton of stand-up comedy um, a lot. Like, if it's been on 
Netflix or Amazon, we've watched it at least once. And so um, there's I, I found a on on Prime there's a, a really cool documentary called Misery Loves Comedy. And it's um, Kevin Pollack just kind of sits down with everybody of his friends and kind of just talks about what it's like being a stand-up comic. And it's a neat, I mean, everybody's in it. It's a neat little documentary if you like uh, stand-up comedy. Um, we also watched Good Boys. Finally watched it. So fucking funny! I thought it was okay, but I didn't oh, think it was as good right. as I hoped. Is that really? The, is that that new... Uh-huh. Kids movie that's inappropriate. Yeah, it's totally inappropriate. But okay. oh, I loved it. That, See, that main that, kid, the uh, oh, they're all the black kid. Isn't he the same kid that? Well, you don't know because you didn't watch it. But I think he's the same black kid that shows up in the later seasons of um, Last Last Man on Earth. Oh, I don't. Yeah, think. he is. Yeah, the quiet one that doesn't talk at all. Yeah, he was yep, hilarious too. I loved it a lot. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a little kid, little kid from Wonder that's like very proper and and yeah, it's yeah. it's adorable that you know they get him and all them to cuss and stuff. A lot of cussing, a lot of inappropriateness. Um, yeah, and it makes yeah nostalgic of having friends when you're young and what that's going through like. And uh, then we also watched All Good Things from 2010, starring. Ryan Gosling and Kirsten Dunst. Um, it's pretty good because Ryan Gosling is kind of a bad guy. You know, you don't see that a whole lot. Um, I don't know. It's always it's just them two laying in bed. It's this white poster. You've seen it a thousand times, probably. You oh, know, but yeah. anyway, we she's got that wonderful ability to just fucking click on something without <laughs> thinking about it. <laughs> That's that I, that that's uh, uh, that's a skill. That's no, I know. Finish. I tell her that every yeah. time. I'm like, "How'd you do that? You just clicked on it without weighing all your options and reading up about it first. Anyway, speaking of <laughs> the next one is horror, The Prodigy. I finally watched it, 2019. I thought it was pretty kick-ass. You know, for see, it feels like there's been a lot of bad kid movies lately, but. I don't know. It it made it still. Oh yeah, yeah was yeah. still good in spite of that. <laughs> you know, so there's no reason to let that keep you from watching it. I think Tad, you've seen it, right? What's that? Uh, Prodigy, the Prodigy. Yes, yeah, yeah. I saw that on your on your uh, letterbox. I was curious to see what you thought of it. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was pretty good. I was I was surprised by your low number. I thought maybe it'd be a little higher for the guy who loves everything. Looking at it now, I'm like. <laughs> I that is a lower number than I think I remember it as. Yeah, I, I saw it in theaters and it was sort of like, damn, this is a doom and gloom for. Is it, I think it's PG thirteen and uh, it had some holy shit moments in it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Tina gave it three and a half, so maybe I should bump it up a little. You're right. It's okay to be critical of something once in a while. No, I just I think the only thing that kept it down is. I think maybe I afterwards read another review on here on Letterboxd, and I was just like, it is all doom and gloom. It's like a feel-bad movie. You know, it's just one of those where just nothing's going to... Yeah, but you need those in the world sometimes. I don't disagree. Mm -hmm. I don't disagree. Interesting. 
You could just write. You that have down. always been the guy that's Mister Anti Hate Movies. Well, that nothing ever goes right for the protagonist. That's true, but this isn't really that kind of. I don't mean that by this kind of movie. This is just like, ain't nothing really good's gonna happen. It's not about not catching breaks ever. It's just yeah, it falls in the same category in my mind. I suppose. I suppose that's probably why I gave it only two and a half. And then lastly, maybe one of the best things uh, we watched, uh, and I know Tad recommended it the other day, Family. It was freaking awesome. It's that movie about the aunt who helps watch the little kid uh, for a week weekend, and she wants to be a juggalo. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was like, yeah. This is fucking hilarious. And, and really, the only thing that kept me away from it is I fucking hate insane clown posse <laughs> with a passion and will not be friends i've i've reserved only scary gary as my only friend that i'll have that's an insane clown posse fan otherwise no so the insane clown posse stuff scared me off of watching it and i know even you said it wasn't a big part of it and it really wasn't a big part of it and the parts that were there were actually positive you know that, in spite of all their ghetto ness, they seem to be nice people. But anyway, the movie itself is hilarious. It's awesome. It's such a good movie. So that, can I stop now? That's what I watched. <laughs> yeah, if that's all you watched, uh, I mean, that's it. Okay, uh, let's ah. go over to Andy. What did you watch? Uh, man, I'll I'll be brief. I didn't really I didn't watch a whole heck of a lot. Um, would you get I, stuff done or something? I yeah, what? I actually did stuff. You uh, read a read a book, work out, yeah. do th- you're gross. Yeah, I, I cleaned the garage. <laughs> uh, let's see, I rewatched the uh, the fog because it's one yeah. of the Carpenter movies that could just consistently uh, grows on me every time I watch it. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Because, like, the, the references to, like, other horror in it is, like, are really abundant. I mean, the fact that one of the guy's names is Dan O'Bannon, and uh, Tom Atkinson's character's name is Nick Castle. I mean, it's, it's just it's just flat-out blatant. Uh, like, the guy who played Napoleon Wilson is the coroner. The, the guy, uh, Napoleon Wilson's uh, the guy from Assault on Precinct 13. Oh. And uh, his name is Doctor Fibes. Uh, just uh, yeah, it's just it it just that movie consistently uh, grows on me. And actually, uh, when I was in a writing colony, I was with uh, I was with a guy. His name was his name was Chris Young, and uh, he uh, we would go on walks like every you know. Uh, every day after dinner at, at, at this writing colony where I had met my wife. And he, he is actually uh, a friend of the instructor there from UCLA. He went to US, he went to USC and he just goes, yeah, I was in a uh, movie um, when, I, when I was younger. It was, it was a John Carpenter film. And he actually is 
one of the guys that gets shot up by the cops at the beginning of Assault on Precinct 13. So every day I got to pick the brain like of a card-carrying member of Street Thunder, which was like really freaking cool. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean he would he would talk about some of the screenplays that he did and you know his time on the set of uh, Assault on Precinct 13. But he actually um, Peter Kwong is his Tai Chi instructor, and he played Rain in uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Mm. And yeah, I know I'm going off on this, this is, but this is just a really cool story. Um, but he eventually, uh, I eventually was able to send a pop, uh, a Funko pop, and he got Peter Kwong to sign it for me. So I have a autographed Peter, you know, Peter nice. Kwong. Right, yeah. Um, so, I also watched uh, Bliss, which was really good. Uh, I enjoyed that. Uh, to me, this is, it's like a, uh, this is what The Hunger could have been, you know, if it wasn't so, you know, well, The Hunger was just kind of lame. Um, this is like, uh, I, the way I describe it to people, it's like fear in Fear and bloodletting in Los Angeles. I mean, this is like a vampire <laughs> version of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, dude. That That's what it is to me, anyway. And every time I see her with blood on her face and those wayfarers on, my mind immediately goes to Bill Paxton in Near Dark. I mean, that's like the biggest tip of the cap to me. Um, other than that, um, oh, I watched a... a it's not horror... But and it's from 1997. But it had Billy Bob Thornton and uh, John Ritter, and it's like a it's like it's part modern day. But th this guy who's a paraplegic, he has uh, in order to deal with him, you know, unable to walk. He does like this sort of like imaginary therapy, and during his this imaginary therapy, it cuts to like black and white where he's like this 1940, like, well, 1950s detective, um, Rick Stone. And then it's, you know, it's, it's like a cross between two worlds. It's called a gun, a girl, a car, a girl, no, sorry, a car, a gun and a blonde. And it was, it was really, really different. It's actually, it's actually not bad. And Billy Bob Thornton's in it, you know, so he's, he's always good. Um, and last night I didn't finish it, but I think it's, I have to revisit it at least once or twice a year. And the, it's the director's cut of dark city because it's actually one of my favorite films. And uh, Inception has nothing on this movie. Hmm. Nice. And that's all I watch. Mikey, what about you? Sorry. Well, uh, hey, Holt, hey, I, I have a job here, okay? <laughs> oh. And before I kick it, and before I kick it over to Mike, I want to make a public statement that I issued an offer to both Jason <laughs> and Mike. Now it's that public. If they watch the pilot to Twin Peaks while they have nothing but time on their hands, just the pilot, one episode, that I would watch any movie of their choosing. So I would be watching two movies, and they would each be watching one episode of a TV series. And um, 
I'm just putting it out there that the offer still stands. I've never seen Neon Maniacs. I've never seen... Ooh. Yeah, I, I'm just, you know, tantalizing you a little bit there, Mike. There's several movies that I know you both love that I've never seen, and you can make me watch anything, any of them, and I'm just asking one one episode. So I, uh, I, 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 too, since I'm a huge Twin Peaks fan, I, too, will throw myself into the hat. You can make me watch any movie, but I'm not fucking watching Clowntergeist again. That's okay. There's I a part do. two. I, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do have my limits. But, uh, yeah, there's but probably yes, a shark. I, I, will, I will. I will watch it. Just, just watch that first. Watch the uh, fucking Twin Peaks, Mike. You watched watch the Twin. Peaks. I almost clicked on it this weekend, but just, uh, yeah, just watch. Just watch the pilot just for Tad and I. So we just you you actually have like even like the vaguest idea as to what we're talking about when we mention it well first of all i don't know what all this free time you guys keep talking about right like we, both it, of i have not work. felt a single second of this so-called free time work. that every podcast is going on about i know right? i i i want to go stir crazy i, I want uh-huh. to but i haven't had a still has to at a, a free moment well i know i mean between the 37 <laughs> movies jason just listed i think hey. you could have fit in one episode of <laughs> a tv you. show it's clear i didn't have time for my 37 other things i mean i know we're probably the only podcast of four people right now that all are still working full-time like nothing's <laughs> mm-hmm. happened yeah right uh, you know and i i don't have any kids so i you know i can't i don't have to put simon to bed but um <laughs> just i'm just saying the offers out there and i have i could probably go through your list of favorite movies and i've probably haven't seen a lot of them and you know all right, seems but, fair. But anyways, what have you watched, Mike? That in your in no time that you've had. <laughs> well, I did start McMillions. Yay! Um, oh, a whole new series you started, huh? Fucking crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm only like an episode and a half in, or something like that, because I fell asleep. That's um, what you do. Um, but yeah, it's freaking awesome. I'm like, where's this going? Like, where is this going? Um, and so, yeah, so that's awesome. I can't wait to finish that. Um, yeah, I need to jump back in. I, I've sort of, uh, lost after like three episodes. I just didn't, I need to get back into it. That warms my heart because I've had HBO for fucking two years now. And I don't think you watched one thing on HBO. So yeah, well, I'm not watching it on HBO either. Uh, <laughs> Cause it's, isn't it on, it's on, is it on Netflix right now? I think no, or, no. or prime it's on. No. It's only on HBO. It's only on HBO. Oh, I'm, I think I'm watching it on Plex. Oh. So you still one. haven't... Still have not clicked on HBO. <laughs> uh, anyway, so... Um, <laughs> my heart has grown cold again. Yes, yeah, so Jason and I, we watched the um, Zach Galifianakis Between Ter- Two Ferns movie, and it's freaking hilarious. I still haven't gotten to it. Oh, it is It is so funny. What was your? What was your favorite... Because they still do a ton of like interview episodes throughout the movie. Because the plot is, it's like he's got to deliver. Um, like, well, f- first of all, he ends up destroying the uh, public access channel that he's records his show at normally in whatever bum bumfuck town. Um, and then Will Ferrell shows up in this like limousine, and it's like you ha- you must deliver so many episodes to Hall- to California and. 
so many days to my funny or die, uh, you know, website. And, and so it's this road trip movie and they're making episodes along the way. What would you say would be the best of those episodes? I thought the best one was the one that destroyed the studio with McConaughey. With McConaughey. It was brutal. <laughs> brutal. My favorite, my favorite question from that is like when you and when you and Woody Harrelson were doing True Detective, uh, something about like a pot sorted somewhere else or something like that. Oh, it, Zach Galifianakis is, is always awesome. It's got a ton of people in it because they do all these other little interviews throughout the movie. Um. I also liked the Peter Dinklage one, though. That oh, was yeah. a good one. He was funny. Yep. Um, so that was fun. Uh, and then the rest is, well, and then I watched a movie that I bought at a pawn shop months ago and never gotten around to putting it in. And and Brandy uh, tricked me into putting into watching it. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. You better change your wording on that one. <laughs> the, Oh, now I don't Close. want to say the name of the movie. It's called Bone Hill Road. I bet that's uh, what you call it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a werewolf movie, and Brandy's really into werewolves. I bought it because it also has She's Linnea. She's dating you, so. That's right. Um, I bought it because it also has Linnea Quigley in it, so, you know, best of both oh. worlds there. Uh, and also, it's made, it's a it's a Todd Sheets movie. Oh. Um, what do you mean? Oh, you know who Todd Sheets is? Yeah. Who's Todd Sheets? Kansas City guy. Oh, you do know Todd Sheets. Yeah. yeah, and he's kind of he's kind of got a reputation in the uh in the underground filmmakers world. But you don't sound too thrilled about the movie. Yeah. So it's my first actual Todd Sheets movie and it's not very good. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And I and you know me, I can be forgiving about yeah, movies with no budget and stuff. Oh, and it has effects. Oh, I don't know if you guys remember. I told you and I have no names now or any context, so good luck. But I told you guys months ago about a documentary I saw about um, about the guy who got kicked off of um, kicked off the show Face Off, uh-huh. and he made this documentary, just like total blasphemy against the show Face Off, just super negative. Like, how did this guy not get sued? And apparently. Um, that guy was one of the effects artists on this movie, and after watching the movie, I realized why he got kicked off of Face Off. <clears throat> so, so I watched that, and then the rest, I, I just I watched a few things that I just hadn't seen in a while. Like um, Brandy let me borrow her copy of Doctor Detroit. I hadn't seen that. I love that movie so much. I haven't seen it forever, so I got to rewatch that. Um, the awesome Nazi zombie movie Shockwaves. I watched that, um, but I. A lot of times when I watch that one, I love the movie, but I really love the commentary track, so I watched it with the commentary track. And then, uh, like I mentioned on the bonus episode, I rewatched Freaks recently, um, and that's what I watched. Is that a Todd Sheets movie? Yeah, with Linnea Quigley. Something we could make Andy watch. Yeah, Clownado. Clownado. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, so I- I I'm like you're, you're probably gonna be like nice to Ted who even initiates yeah. goddamn thing. Let's give Andy the shit. <laughs> All right, so that is what we've been watching. Now it's, we should get into 
the films for this episode. And again, we're talking about biopics. Before all you horror fans out there, you know, cuss us out for not really talking about any horror movies, I'm telling you again, these are biopics about people who have made horror movies, so it counts. And we're going to start off with Jason. What's our first movie? First movie we're going to watch today is from 1998 called Gods and Monsters. Lights, sound. Okay for sound. Action. The Bride of Frankenstein. A man with a legendary career behind him. Who's this new yard man? Mr. Boom, by that or something be. He came cheap. A man with his life still ahead of him. Hey, the master wants to know if you're free for lunch. I do have a lawn this afternoon. I'm free until then. Expect nothing fancy. Come in, Mr. Boom. Separated by class. Are you famous? I was merely a director. You have the most architectural skull. Have you ever sat for an artist? By time. You were a soldier. I was an officer in the trenches. And by desires. All I know is bugger. He's a bugger. Does that surprise you? I'm not. You know. Mm. I did not think you were a bugger at all. They have nothing in common. Mr. Clayton Boone. My gardener. He's never met a princess. Only queens. Except their humanity. I've spent much of my life outrunning the past. And now it floods all over me. I'm losing my mind. Every day a new piece of it goes and soon there'll be none of it left. My condition will continue to deteriorate until the end of my life. Why are you here? Let's get this straight. What did you want from me? What do you want? Just back from the hospital already you're chasing after boys. Oh, shut up. Man's gonna make up his life alone. A philosopher. Thoreau. With a lawnmower. Do you believe people come into our lives for a purpose? To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> <laughs> so, we understand each other. Live and let live. Once a powerful Hollywood director best known for Frankenstein and The Bride of Frankenstein, his name was James Whale, played by Ian McKellen, is long since retired and in increasingly poor health. His stalwart housekeeper... Hannah, played by Lynn Redgrave. Man, she was so good. She was my favorite part of the whole uh, movie. She quietly disapproves of Whale's faceless, nameless parade of young gay lovers, but when a but when the director takes an interest in the new gardener Clayton Boone, a former Marine and Korean War veteran, played by your guy Brendan Fraser. I love Brendan Fraser. I do too. Um, it seems. To be for something more than his usual casual conquest. It's the first time I've seen this movie. Me too. And it's great. I really liked it a lot. Um, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> no, I thought it was awesome and super hilarious. And I dug it quite a bit. 
I always thought this cover. I I always um. I I don't see Ian McKellen. I always see um. Uh, looks like a Halloween what? mask of Ian McKellen pulled over somebody else's face. Uh, uh what's his name? Say anything, boombox over the head. Oh, John Cusack. Oh, it does. I always see John Cusack when I see it. It looks cover. like an John Cusack with bad old old age makeup on. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not a horror movie. It's definitely a straight up. I I don't. It's it's good to. Um, that's pretty awesome that James Whale got his mo- a movie. That's about great him, too. You know and. Um, it was pretty neat how they kind of had some flashbacks from the old sets and things. Um, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, um, that stuff was probably my favorite part of the movie. I've yeah. I've seen yeah. this one a few times before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't help it. Mike's over here making faces. What didn't you like about it? It's too slow. It's I. I will just. I guess too artsy. I can just say. I can just say. This is not my kind of movie. It's not my kind of movie. I did not really care about what was going on in this movie. And, yeah, my favorite parts are the flashbacks to, you know, the making of Bride of Frankenstein and stuff. But that was yeah. very few and far between. And is it just me? Because we're going to see this in another movie on this list of tonight's films. Is this a biopic trope of, like... Having conversations with imaginary people that aren't really that aren't really there, or seeing things that aren't really there, which is I get it. We're like it's a surreal attempt to tap into this person's mind, but is this a trope in biopics? Because two out of the three movies do this. I just think that's just the maneuver of a writer to fill in blanks that we don't have. You know, I. I get so it. maybe it almost that's feels why like it's a, a trope. It yeah. almost feels like a crutch, though. Like I don't know, like overused, overdone. Maybe I don't know. Um, I'm I mean, okay with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, uh, but I don't, I don't hate it. No. But what don't you like about it? It's just a story about his life. So it's a story about a, uh, a the, particular part of his life. An old and person, like you don't like old people. What's the deal? Oh my god. <laughs> he's got I mean he's got dementia. Yeah, he definitely has dementia. Another one of my favorite scenes was the scene at the party when um you know when uh I forget her name, bride, the bride herself. Elsa uh, Lancaster. Yeah, and Boris Boris Karloff for there and they all take a picture together. You know, I don't know, I like that little moment. Yeah. Whoever they got to play Boris Karloff is freaking Awesome, because as soon as I, I showed, oh, it's Boris Karloff, and I'm like, well, no, it's not really Boris Karloff, but the second I saw him, I thought, yeah, I don't know, it just, there wasn't a whole lot that was going on for me, and I didn't really care too much about Brendan Fraser's character, I really wasn't even clear what his role, what his relationship is with him, with James throughout the movie, I don't even think he knew what his relationship was with James in the movie, I don't even know if James understood what his relationship was with him in the movie but i don't know i just it was just dull for me didn't like it this next this was nominated for three oscars and won one i know it did i i remember that and that always sparked an interest in me like i always thought it was cool like a director a biopic about a director who made 
um, some amazing classic horror films. Not only, you know, got a biopic made about them, but, like, got Oscar nods for it. Because it, it, which one won? Was it Brandon Fraser won? I know he was one of the nominations. Uh, he didn't get nominated. Oh, uh, he did not? Best writing no. screenplay. Yeah, best by Bill uh, screenplay adaptation. <coughs> and then yeah. nominated uh, were Ian McKellen and Lynn Redgrave. Mm. And again, Lynn Redgrave was my favorite part of this movie. I, yeah. I loved her scenes. I could have done with a lot more of her, especially her and her with her relationship with James Wales in the movie. I thought that was more of a story going on there than anything else. But yeah, um, yeah. I think it's interesting in general when you cover a very specific part of someone's life. Like, there's a few that are sort of like this where it's like I. I don't know, maybe just because of the way his life ended was so tragic, that's why they chose to do the last, the, the tail end of his life, and with just a few flashbacks to his former life, but um, obviously I would love to see you know, a whole movie about the time when he was making motion pictures, when he was making those, like, because of course I watch this, and then I go on, and I read more about about him, and, and want to learn more about him from this movie like earlier yeah. life and seeing you know the choices he made and what led up to this was interesting because i didn't have a whole lot of uh, knowledge on james whale's history before i watched this this was actually I, I wasn't even aware of this movie until probably four or five years ago when a friend suggested it and was like oh you've never seen this movie it's about james whale's life and of course i had no idea going in any really anything about the director's life of course you you learn about the stars and stuff but never the director and it's just so interesting that we got like an oscar winning film about basically the last year of a director's life but you also have to remember at the time when this when he died you know it was not he was like one of the only people in hollywood to be openly gay and that was a huge deal yeah, and you could uh, tell it was a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah, and even a big deal when they made this movie, it was sort of controversial to even make a movie about a guys who, you know, yeah. so it's like so you can imagine in the 50s when this was taking place that, you know, it was unheard of and uh it's it's just it's also nice it's sort of cool to look back and remember when Brendan Fraser was a huge name and it, he wasn't just in this he was something that he wasn't his normal typecast uh action hero or um you know that sort of dumb idiot role i don't know yeah. it was good like yeah. it, it's good to remember that he is a good actor and uh sort of got i don't know unjustly removed from hollywood but um i really I, loved I, his scene when he's out in the rain and he starts walking like frankenstein right at the end yeah and that's fucking awesome i like that yeah yeah i think it's uh i mean reading about it and then sort of seeing the movie and how they um, portrayed some of the stuff that, you know, they of course, any movie like this, you're going to change up some of the stuff that really happened. But super sad that uh, he committed suicide. And for a long time, they did not. They thought it was an accident. And then uh, the Brendan Fraser character in real life, like right before he died, came out and, and put the letter out and said basically like, hey, he committed suicide. And it was like quite a while after wasn't you know so 
it, there were many years that people did not have any idea that it was a suicide. Hmm. Obviously, you know, they threw him back in the water and, yeah. you know, and that's like, tragic, the whole, but... The whole moral of the story is that, you know, monsters don't have to be physical manifestations. We all have, you know, monsters just in general. Yeah. But I also get it's not your kind of movie. <laughs> I knew that. But, yeah, it was good. It's, uh, isn't it uh, free on Prime? It uh, is. Okay. For everyone I, else who wants to check it out. I would have to say it's probably one of uh, Brendan Fraser's better movies that I've seen. Pers- I mean, me personally, just my my take on it. Yeah, cool. All right, was that it? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, so, well, Tad, what's our next movie? Our next movie is one of my favorites of all time. I'm so glad you let me introduce this one because yeah. I absolutely <laughs> love it. It's uh, Tim Burton's Ed Wood from 1994. Tim Burton, director of Batman, Beetlejuice, and Edward Scissorhands now takes you to a completely different world. The true story of a Hollywood legend, Ed Wood. And action! He made movies like no one else. You want to keep moving? You've got to get through that door. Ah! That was perfect. Perfect? Do you know anything about film production? Well, I'd like to think so. He had an eye for talent. I met Bela Lugosi. Well, I thought he was dead. This is the most uncomfortable coffin I've ever been in. No, he's very much alive. You flying saucer? He had a passion for storytelling. Get me transvestites. I need transvestites. You're flashy. They want that. Okay. But they want professionalism. So Nick Sandinelli without losing naivete. What kind of a movie is this? It's science fiction. A heartbreaking romance. Brave robbers from outer space. Brave robbers from what? And he had a secret he couldn't hide. I like to dress in women's clothing. Panties, sweaters, pumps. It's just something I do. You don't like sex with girls? No, I love sex with girls. Wearing their clothes makes me feel closer to them. How can you act so casual when you're dressed like that? All right, everybody, let's finish this picture. Touchstone Pictures presents Johnny Depp, Martin Landau, Sarah Jessica Parker, Patricia Arquette, and Bill Murray in the true story of an unforgettable filmmaker. We're making another movie. I got the Church of Beverly Hills to put up the cash. How do you get all your friends to get baptized just so you can make a monster movie? And his legacy that will live forever. How do you burn this off? Shake his legs around. Looks like he's killing This is the one. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Ed Wood, a Tim Burton film. Really? Worst film you ever saw. Well, my next one will be better. Hello? Talks about the ambitious but troubled movie director Edward D. Wood Jr. as he tries to fulfill his Hollywood dreams making the best movies ever without much talent but doing what he can and this one to me is tim burton's best movie depp's best movie just so goddamn good uh i any any chance i can go back and watch this and remind myself why i like i liked depp at some point i liked (laughs) tim burton at some point um 
So what a cast. Mark Landau, that guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. best performance. Now you want to talk about Bill worthy Murray. worthy of his Academy Award, Martin Landau. Absolutely. I mean, we got Johnny Depp, Martin Landau, Sarah Jessica Parker, Patricia Arquette, uh, Jeffrey Jones, uh, Vincent. Murray. Yeah, Bill Murray, Vincent uh, D'Onofrio. <laughs> is in a small role as Orson Welles, which is just rad. It's like, really good. Yeah. Lisa yeah. Marie's in this, uh, plays a great vampire. The casting in this is just unreal. Like, everybody is dead on. So cool. Maybe the best so casting is George the Animal Steel. Heck yeah. Oh, oh, I'm yeah. serious. He's awesome. Yeah. I mean, he is awesome. His voice doesn't really oh. match towards Johnson's voice, but look and performance, spot on. Dead. On, love it. So yeah. good. Yeah, so I was. I did a little bit of reading on this one too, and how uh, Burton wasn't originally going to direct, but after they sort of started putting it all together, he was going to produce. He just sort of fell in love with the story and decided he wanted to direct it, which at the time was sort of like a, whoa, like what are you doing? Because he was, you know, he he basically had the world at his hands. He could do whatever the fuck he wanted at this point. Um, mm-hmm. and to do a black and white biopic of the worst director of all time was like, <laughs> dude, you're making a bad choice here. What are you doing? And obviously he, um, I think made the right choice. It went on to, you know, be probably his most award winning and critically acclaimed movie as far as, uh, like an actual art film, you know, of course, obviously he has a bunch of films that you know he fills the hot topic shelves and people love them and you know (laughs) and you know and and every there's movies that made a hell of a lot more money but as far as a serious director goes um to me this is his uh his best this is his apex mountain it's so good and you know it just he, he i think he it shows how much he admired ed wood in his story because it's so optimistic it doesn't it doesn't never makes fun of him it never makes fun of anybody I, I just love that it's optimistic like you could take edward's story and make it tragic i mean you could turn it on his head and make fun of him and and look down on him but he got a listers i mean he this is depp at his best oh yeah uh, you know just yeah. perfectly cast in this uh, like i said like you said martin landau as bella gosi was the one that you know got all the awards for good reason i mean holy shit yeah. What you know, so such tragedy in there, and even you know, you can't really make light of that. But there's a lot of hilarious moments there too. And let's shoot this fucker! <laughs> oh man! <laughs> but you just watch it, and you just uh, to me, it just puts me in that mood. Like, man, I love everything about movie making. This guy, yeah, you know, it just makes you adore Ed Wood and everything he did because it's just it's goddamn, dude. Like yeah. the guy just he he got it done he had the best attitude he just got it done you know and i i admire that so much he just has that spirit that we all want to have and that we admire in other people and like i said everybody in the the movie did a great job this is probably sarah jessica parker's best movie you know even bill murray plays such a small role and this was like bill murray also sort of you know towards the not the top, obviously. He was late '80s or the top, but he was still in prime here. It wasn't he hadn't done Garfield yet? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And he, he was and he so a funny, so funny, Bill Murray. But I he loved knocked, his But he knocks it out of the park too. Right, absolutely. Oh, so good. And I I read that um, you know Burton <laughs> sort of used 
Burton sort of <laughs> used his uh, power to basically <laughs> go in and say, like, I want to make this black and white. And the studio was like, absolutely no way. Like, what are you thinking? You know, like, we can't make a big studio picture black and white. And he's like, then, I, then I'm not doing it. It's simple as that. And, you know, he got it done. One thing I thought was interesting is that this is like one of the few, maybe the only one of Tim Burton's movies that did not have Danny Elfman do the score. I, and I said I, that and, when oh, it came wow. up, yeah. And yeah. I did not miss that, to be honest. Like, yeah. I thought this, it's sort of like a happy accident. Apparently, it was because of a strained relationship on Batman Returns. They had some, they butted heads on stuff. So wow. he ended up, I think there might be another one more recent tim burton movie that danny elfman didn't do because they've butted heads again but um or maybe i'm thinking of sam raimi but um this was howard shore right i think so yeah and i I thought it was good yeah it didn't yeah i thought it fit like like i said sort of a happy accident where i felt like elfman maybe would have been too whimsical i thought it was old hollywood really good and it really emulates edward's movies with the theremin and like the bongos and stuff absolutely man it's so like just everybody at their best on this one man i can't stop talking about how much i love this movie but i love this fucking movie (laughs) the the old uh and it really encapsulates the old hollywood too because the brown derby is not around anymore you know where they where they went to to uh try to raise money for the films and uh yeah, I'm with I'm with Tad on 100% on this one. This is probably in my top 5 movies of all time. Nice. Like, you know, yeah. just it's just my favorite it's one of my favorite films. I mean, this is like if I feel like shit, <laughs> like just like emotionally, this movie just makes me feel good because it's so positive, you know, even though his movies are just like <laughs> atrocious, they're just they're just they're they're car wrecks. But he just, I mean, he, he got, like he, like I said, he got shit done. I mean, it, it almost makes me think of, like, oddly enough, it almost makes me think of Rocky. You know, he's like, he's <laughs> such the yeah. underdog, and you so want him to just, to win. And even though he doesn't, you know, it's just that it's the journey. He went the distance, you know? I mean, it's like, it's, it's so un- unbelievably... It's such a feel-good film, and even though I mean this guy died like a freaking penniless alcoholic, you know, uh, you know, and it's just like him. But he was there, like I said, he was just he was so loyal to the people that he cared about, and you know, he he took care of Bella. You know, he believed in Bella when nobody else would. Right, and that that's what is like so cool because maybe maybe we all just sort of relate to him because it's like. You know, we would all be geeking out too, and it's like there's so many, so many people who are probably, you know, absolutely nobodies to to most people, but to us are heroes. You know, yeah. and it's like, like, oh fuck yes, yeah, Bella Gosi, man, and and the yeah. way he goes in and, you know, and gets things done, you'll you'll put somebody's son in the movie for for money. You know, you just got to do what you got to do to get things done, yeah. and and it's just so perfectly whimsical it just i don't know man just everything about it hits the right notes for me it's it's hard it's it's heartwarming like like crazy and uh and some of the one-liners in this movie are just just stellar um like 
my my favorite one is when he's on the phone and Bella, he finally, you know, he gets to uh, Ed's apartment and it's just like, get me transvestites. I need transvestites, you know? <laughs> and and Bella's looking at him like, Ed, what, what kind of movie is this? <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's so good. It's so good. I... I'm running along with you guys. I love, 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 love this movie. It is my favorite Tim Burton movie. It is my favorite Johnny Depp movie. It is a movie that I, I love watching, and it always, the second it's done, I'm like, all right, let's make a movie. I just am so inspired yeah. every time after watching it. And I'm also an Edward fan, so um, I, I knew you know, all about Edward going into this picture, and I feel like... Burton handled the subject matter perfectly. I mean, yes, there's a lot of, you know, you know, changes liberties, to liberties, yeah. you know, and you you got to, you got to. You're not going to go into, you know, obviously Ed Wood made more than just three movies, um, but yeah. you're not going to spend the whole movie going to eat, going into each and every one. You're going to talk about the most significant ones, right? Leonard Glenda, Bride of the Monster, Plan 9. <clears throat> yeah, and, uh, and everybody spun on perfect, and <clears throat> I fell in love with Martin Landau after watching this movie. I always thought he was a cool actor, <clears throat> but this cemented him for me as like one of the great actors of all time. On the, I only have the DVD, but on the DVD, there's an interview with him. You know, there's a portion where they talk about Bela Lugosi, and they interview him, and his technique into doing this character is like the greatest thing it is i can't even begin to comprehend this mentality but he went into this role uh, trying to trying to do uh, playing a hungarian man who's trying not to have his own hungarian accent and failing miserably like, how do you do that? Like, how do you, first of all, teach yourself to have Hungarian dialect and a Hungarian accent, and then turn around and try to force yourself not to have it? Because that's what Bella did. Bella really tried to suppress his, like, Hungarian heritage, uh, but unfortunately he just couldn't do it. Um, and that's Martin was Martin Lando's approach. It's insane. And, and... Maybe it's in the commentary track because I couldn't find it in the special features this time around. But I swear I remember hearing a story on one of the decisions to go black and white with the movie was because of Landau's makeup. Rick Baker did the makeup, and he basically Oscar winner. Rick he basically Baker. yeah, and he won an Oscar for 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 this movie as well um, for the makeup. He basically went to Burton and begged for the job. Like he said, he would have done it for free just because it was an opportunity to to do one of his one of his favorite um, horror icons of all time, Bela Lugosi. I mean, he said he was always more of a Karloff fan, but you know, <laughs> Karloff does not deserve deserve to smell my sheet. Um, <laughs> but uh, but. They would screen test it and screen test it and screen test it, and the makeup never looked quite right, even though, like, listening to Rick Baker describe the details he went into morphing Martin Landau into Bela Lugosi without it being cartoonish or anything. And as they said, as soon as they, as soon as they started taking pictures of that makeup in black and white, all of a sudden it worked. 
And that's because no one knows what Bela Lugosi looks like in color. There's like yeah. no pictures. Mm. There's no movies of Bela Lugosi in color. So yeah, it was originally at Columbia, and they dropped it after Tim Burton insisted on shooting it black and white. Really? Well, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I think the black and white adds so much to this movie. It really puts you in that time. It really puts you into those Ed Wood movies. And the de- the details to the sets, I mean, that Bride of the Monster set is the Bride of the Monster set, you know. Um, and, you know, it's not an exaggeration that the that the airplane cockpit in Plan 9 from Outer Space was a couple chairs and a shower curtain. I mean, that's what <laughs> it was. But you it know? wasn't just to be artistic. It serves the story. It, exactly. Like, and and that's, that's where I like the art, artistic stuff. I you can be all ter- artistic as all all get out as long as it serves your story and you're just not, you know, being pompous and just <laughs> trying to do fancy things to be fancy. So, it, yeah, I saw uh, I also read that Landau uh prepared for the role by watching a ton of obviously Lugosi's movies, but he also studied Hungarian language tapes and sort of yep. learned Hungarian just to get the accent down. And that's amazing. That's dedication to the craft, man. And, and that's and what Burton I admire. Said, yeah, and like the screenwriters were were college friends who came up with the idea in the '80s, and they tried to get their friend who uh, directed Heather's. I'm drawing a blank on his name, but they were going to get him to direct. They brought Tim Burton on basically as producer because they knew he was a big fan, and they thought they could use his name to get you know money and and get uh, financing. And then Tim Burton was sort of like. Would there be any way I could possibly direct this? And he, they, they were obviously like, "Are you kidding? Absolutely, do it." So he's, you know, they stepped, he stepped aside and let Burton direct it. And then Burton basically came out and said the reason why was because he read it and it actually reminded him of his relationship with Vincent Price. Oh and, wow! So Ed, Ed that Wood, makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah. So he like, you know, when he found uh, Vincent Price, he was sort of at the end of his career and he wasn't being in, he wasn't being used in movies and stuff. And he's like, I gotta put him in my stuff, you know. And That's so cool. Awesome. I also read uh, Johnny Depp's Ed Wood voice was a combination of Ronald Reagan, Casey Kasem, and the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. He comes up with the most bizarre. You know, connections to his characters. It was fake bottom teeth, right? You know, I don't know. For the for the de- I don't. I, I don't know. Like it, but yeah, I, yeah, so good. I would think so. And originally, Bunny wasn't like much of a. He was even less of a character. But then when they got Bill Murray, they added scenes in because they had to. Oh my god! Well, his- see, then I don't know. I don't know how much Bunny, the real Bunny, was involved in Edward's life. I only really know. That that guy um, from Plan Nine from Our Space, yeah. And I don't and I I don't know who they got to play the other alien in um in Edward uh, for the Plan Nine scenes, but I thought that guy looked and acted spot on to the same guy that was in Plan Nine from Our Space. Bill Murray's uh, baptized scene is like the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I suppose. Oh, I, I think it's a great line. It's like, how do you do it? How do you get all your friends to make a, to get baptized to make a monster movie? And Ed's answer is, it's a science it's a it's a science fiction thriller. He <laughs> doesn't even answer the question. He's just like, yeah, was, they were talking about that doctor, uh, that chiropractor's head. He just goes, oh yeah. 
let's hear you call Boris Karloff a cocksucker. I'm like, they're, they're in the middle of church, you know. It's just... <laughs> and Tor starts laughing, yeah, snickering. Um, I love some of the out of out of left field jokes in the movie. Like one of my favorite jokes in the movie is when they uh, are asking the the cameraman what he what he which color dressed he thinks is better. He's <laughs> like, oh no, I'm colorblind, and that is yeah, like so, so freaking funny. I w- or when I w- the or when he's with the, with that girl at the bar and trying to get her to finance the movie, and and the waiter's like, "Can I get you a glass of water?" And she's like, "No, I'm deathly afraid of liquids." You're like, "What?" <laughs> it's like Tor- weirdo Tor- lines Tor- like that out of left field are just so awesome. Tor's always running into shit, you know. It's just, and he's oh, like, fuck. "Okay, cut, cut and print." You know, that's good. And <laughs> and they're like, "Don't you want to do another take?" It's like, no. This would be his real struggles in real life. Meanwhile, he's like almost knocking over the cardboard set, you know. Because he's he, uh, and then in one of one of my favorites was like, you know, they've got like that Jacob Jacob's ladder, and you know, it's like Ed's just like, you know, he's got the scene like all worked out in his head. He's just like, okay, Bella, you're right over here, you know, and it's next to like that, you know, that electrical thing. He's and Bella's just like. I'm not getting anywhere near that goddamn thing, you know? <laughs> and he's just like, he's just like, okay, screw it. Go over here, you know? It's just like, it doesn't matter. You know? Well, Gre- Gregory Walcott, who played the lead in Plan 9, actually makes a cameo in this, in the, in the scene where, I believe it's the scene where they're tr- looking for investors after they've run out of money and they get kicked off the soundstage and where we meet uh, Vampira or when he begs her to come on to the movie yeah. like one of the one of the prospective investors is gregory walcott from oh, plan nine which no is cool. kidding i'm actually yeah. i'm actually surprised conrad brooks didn't make an appearance because yeah. he is really he spent the rest of his life really clinging on to being um kelton the cop from the edward movies and he's made a whole second career out of out of just his brand so surprised he didn't show up somewhere um, this movie, this movie makes me cry. There's two moments in this movie that makes me, you know, well up a little bit. Obviously, the death of Bela Lugosi chokes yeah. me up every time. But just the end of just like, he's just sitting there and the audience is cheering. And we all know this isn't really how it went but yeah. <laughs> you know, in real life. <laughs> Considering Plan 9 is considered one of the worst movies of all time. But he's just sitting there, he's like, this is the one I'm going to be remembered for. And just that line there and this uh, cheerfulness and that optimism on his face and the irony of that line, just, it just tears me up. And just the, the way the theremin music takes kind of Uh a, a more, uh, sombery tone to it in the end, when you're seeing what the, the end text of where everybody ended up in life, you know, and, uh yeah, kind of kind of chokes me up. Yeah, like the only unlikable character really is Sarah Jessica Parker's character, and I mean, he's sort of—I I mean, you can't really a hundred percent blame her because I'm sure being, you know, with Ed was not easy. But uh, yeah. the way she goes about it, you know, I don't know, and she's sort of a uh, not very nice at times, but. Uh, yeah, the parallels between this and the Disaster Artist, if you've never seen it, are pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. 
like watching this again after I've seen Disaster Artist, I'm like, holy shit! Like Tommy um, Wiseau and Ed Wood have so much in common. <laughs> yeah, only like only difference is like Ed Wood is was a charismatic guy. He was likable. Like Tommy was Wiseau pissed everybody off. Right in the room, but everybody, everybody just loved Ed and trusted him, even though they're like, "Well, the guy's knocking over the cardboard tombstones." But if Ed says it's okay, we can we can move on. Well, I'm 100 percent with you guys. Uh, this movie's freaking amazing and all the way around. And then I don't know how to say it, but like, there's another like. Uh, awesome thing about this movie and maybe it's with that last line you talked about that he says but like this movie existing is his win you know like right that's the that he celebrated yeah it's it's just a bummer though because it was literally shortly after he died that he started getting recognized for it yeah it all started really with like the uh, Michael and Harry Medved um, film critics that wrote the Golden Turkey Awards book, and they also wrote the worst hundred movies in Hollywood, and I think that was the first book to come out, and that kind of like brought Plan Nine to everybody's attention, all the cult film followers' attention, and it was and that it was just so shortly after Ed died, it was so tr- so sad because yes, he died broke, alcoholic. Divorced, um, and having, you know, having bit parts and mild porn. Make yeah, making terrible. By the way, softcore porn films. Yes, I've seen some. Yep. So thanks, Tim Burton. <laughs> Thank you thanks, for this Ed one. Wood. Yeah. So now watching this really makes me want to watch that. Um, that Dolomite movie even more. Oh yeah, because yeah, get to it. Well, and because every time I hear it get brought up, it gets compared to Ed Wood every single time. I mean, granted, it's the same screenwriters, but it made me want to run out and watch the Riff Tracks live. Because goddamn, it's the funniest. Plan thing Nine. Ever. Yeah, Plan oh, Nine. I did that right after. Oh, I. Well, I may have to so put bad. that in tonight. It's on. I think it's on Prime. There's no. Yeah. There's nothing better than the Tor Johnson line in recorded history, maybe. Which one? That's the. You just watched it, Ted. You say it. That's the sound his mom made when he came. <laughs> they named him after the. They, they named him after what what he did to his mother when he was born. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh, it's the greatest. But that riff tracks is the most amazing well, one ever. And you know how I feel about like uh, MST3K and riff tracks. Some of the funniest stuff is just the little subtle, li- yep. the littler things, like those moments there in the third act where Tor Johnson's standing there and he's got his mouth gaped open, and the guys are going oh! every <laughs> yeah. time he appears on screen. Or the scenes where the fucking cops just whipping that gun around, they are freaking out. It's so good. It's so every good. Time. Oh fuck. Oh. Definitely recommended. Yeah, now there is also a non-live version, but um, yeah. I don't think it's as good as the live. Right. It's got way different jokes. The yep. live's got way different jokes. So definitely check out the live riff tracks of Plan 9. <clears throat> okay, cool. Man, 
I knew I, that's why I put Ed Wood in the middle of the discussion because uh. I knew it would take up the majority of the show. But we still have one other film to talk about. And uh, Andy, what is that movie? This movie comes from 2012, and it is called Hitchcock. All of us harbor dark recesses of violence and horror. I'm just a man hiding in the corner with a camera, watching. Mr. Hitchcock, you're the most famous director in the history of the medium, but you're 60 years old. Shouldn't you just quit while you're ahead? This is murder. I'm getting blisters just watching you. He's going out of his mind looking for his next project. I need something fresh, something different. It was the knife that, a moment later, cut off her scream and her head. Charming. Doris Day should do it as a musical. Good afternoon. This book, Psycho, is fiendishly entertaining. Is this really going to be your next picture? Yes, madam. By the way, try the finger sandwiches. They're real fingers. No one respects the name Hitchcock more than Paramount. But even a talented man sometimes backs the wrong horse. This is Mr. Hitchcock's next film. Fine. If you can get the money. Who do I make it out to? Well, are we going to have to sell the whole house or just the pool? You are intrigued, aren't you? Killing off your leading lady halfway through the movie. How are you going to shoot this shower scene? It's only that, well, from here up, I'm not exactly boyish. You shouldn't wait till halfway through. Kill her off after 30 minutes. Well. Why are you letting him do something so tasteless? Don't upset yourself, darling. It's only a bloody movie. More anger! More! <laughs> married to a man obsessed by murder. This will not be released in this country. Show me some damn footage now! I'm under extraordinary pressures on this picture, and the least you could do is give me your full support! We've mortgaged our house! I am your wife. I celebrate with you when the reviews are good, I cry for you when they are bad, and I put up with those people who look through me as if I were invisible, because all they can see is the great and glorious genius Alfred Hitchcock. Promised mother, I wouldn't tell. Oh, you imp, you've got nudity in there. Well, her breasts were rather large. It was a challenge not to show them. Basically, um, this film uh, takes place at a point uh, in Alfred Hitchcock's life. Uh, it comes at, It starts right after uh, North by Northwest is released and it's a big and it's a big hit and uh as usual um it's uh it, it like the people in hollywood they say you know okay what's next and it, this movie just entails just the trials and tribulations of uh alfred hitchcock trying to uh get psycho made he has to finance the film himself. He has to deal with uh, censorship. He has troubles with his marriage. He has troubles with his health, both mental and physical. Um, it, uh, it, it hints at voyeurism 
and uh, the jealousy. He has, you know, and this is very well documented. He has fantasies about, you know, being with, you know, his leading ladies, his Hitchcock blondes. Uh, his feud with Vera Miles, you know, and he even, you know, which I thought was very interesting, even as successful and talented as this guy was, he also suffered from a lot of self-doubt, you know, even after he had as many hits as he had, uh, he's just like, am I, am I still good? You know, you know, which, you know, kind of makes, you know, guys like me, you know, who write stuff, you know, it's like, man. I, I guess we're really not alone, even this guy is as talented as this. Um, I really, uh, that being said, I really, really love uh, Alfred Hitchcock films, but when I see things like this and you know what he was like as a person, I don't like this guy at all. Uh, there's, there's scenes in this movie I'm just like, yeah, I, this, I, I, I want to punch this freaking slob <laughs> right the, right the fuck out. Um, oh, just just I mean everything he did was like irritating to me, like up into a to a point. <laughs> I mean his he's a passive aggressive little bitch. Um wow. He's I mean the way the way he drinks and swallows <laughs> at a at 85 decibels and the way he eats, I wanted to tear his fucking head off. Um, but I mean, he does, uh, he does have like, like I'll do the line of the movie. You may, you may call me hitch, hold the cock. Um, come on, that's fun. There's, that's there's funny. really, really great. There's really, really great scene in it where they're filming the, the stabbing, uh, scene in psycho where it's intercut where he's just like he's so frustrated with his wife he's so frustrated with this guy that his wife is kind of working with and he's accusing her of having an affair um so i mean he's like as he's like trying to show this stunt double how to you know kind of knife at janet lee he's like he's seeing the censor he's seeing his wife he's seeing this this other guy that she's with the studio exec the the censors uh yeah but all in all uh he's an ungrateful bastard and when his wife eventually uh played by helen Mirren and anthony hopkins playing alfred hitchcock sorry uh when she eventually senses sets him straight i just wanted to stand up and cheer and say yeah you rat bastard i mean this woman does everything for you i mean it's uh uh you know, he's nothing without her. And then eventually he actually says, you know, that later in the film. And it's it's got a nice little, um, you know, which uh, I'm sure that Mike is not going to be too thrilled about. It's got a nice little uh, B story interwo- interwoven with uh, Ed Gein. And uh, you've got a great supporting cast with Scarlett Johansson, uh, Jessica Biel, Tony Collette, which I am very, very high on. Um, there is, there's even a very, very small role with Ralph Macchio who, who plays, uh, Joseph Stefano, the, the screenwriter. And he asked him, you know, uh, and, and Hitch says, you know, why do you talk to your, uh, your shrink so much what do you talk about how you know what could you be possibly talking about and he says 
sex rage my mother which like makes him the perfect fucking screenwriter for psycho <laughs> um, uh yeah i i really really like this movie because uh it's he you finally it, it sets up uh hitchcock the way you're supposed to look at him in the beginning because he's just an unappreciated, unappreciative, you know, ass to everybody. He treats his actors like shit. He treats his wife like shit. You know, it's all it's all him, 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 him. And eventually, you do get to that, uh, you know, that point of redemption. So, but although he has in real- his arc, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although in although in real life, I mean, it doesn't end at Psycho. The stuff that he did to Tippy Hedren, you know, on the birds is actually pretty damn deplorable too. Because he wanted to get into her pants and he blackballed her. But um, yeah, I I think the performances in this movie are freaking stellar by everyone. Uh, I, I I have. I have no no complaints. It's good to see Kurtwood Smith, you know, as the censor. Um, yeah, all all the roles are just really really well done, and uh, yeah, I mean, they didn't really pull any punches as to how Alfred Hitchcock really kind of was, uh, and it's actually to it was actually good to see that Jessica Biel does have you know good acting chops you know she just doesn't uh she doesn't get hired you know much anymore but i thought everybody did a good job in this i thought scarlett johansson was really good as janet lee um and it's just uh i'm i got a little soft spot for you know uh old hollywood and just old hollywood films and i personally think um and there will probably be some people that disagree with me but uh Psycho is probably my favorite horror movie of all time. Wow. Um, and, of course, you know, it's it set the foundation for, <clears throat> in my opinion, it set the foundation between, well, that and Peeping Tom. It set the foundation for, for slashers, you know, and then the, the blueprints for it um, came along with, you know, the Jallo films that Argento and Bava did. And then, of course, the, the true ones are you know your your black christmases and of course the masterpiece halloween but i'll shut up now and let you guys have your two soon <laughs> mike uh, this is your first okay. time yeah this is my first time i never did get around to seeing this and i think part of the reason was i was scared i kind of have an opposite opinion of hitchcock than <laughs> andy at least the character in this movie i i don't want to get into the the actual man, because I don't know enough of the stories, I guess, of what he was doing. But uh, but going into this, I knew I was ner- I was nervous because I knew they were going to be talking about that side of of, of Hitchcock, and I kind of didn't think it was that bad, uh, other than like you know his peeping tom scenes and shit like that. But like. Yeah, he was, like, way overly flirty and stuff. But here's the thing. Like, he obviously comes off as a pompous asshole, but I kind of love him for that because no, what other man 
what other man in the history of cinema has been able to put studio executives in their place and basically like knock knock them down a peg or two with just a one monotone quip. One of my favorite scenes is when they're talking about where the where the censor guys like talking about you can't show a toilet in a movie, no movie in the history, and just his his little rant there about like well that's where we dispose the money and blah blah blah. I suppose we could do this. I can't remember what he said, but it was just like it just totally what something about the United States. I was like, well, we can film the toilet flushing in England then. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We can make this movie in England then, or something like that. <laughs> and I just love how so snide that was that it just shut that sensor up and i thought i loved that stuff and yeah my, maybe i my, would want to punch him if i hung out with him i don't know but like i loved him in this movie because well, it was my my issue with him is just the way that he treated his spouse who didn't who did everything you know for him and it's just like that was that was my i mean agreed yeah agreed and like but the thing is is he has redemption for it like yes. again, this movie made me cry too. And that moment when, like, there at the end, when he tells his wife he loves him and that she's the yeah. she's the only Hitchcock Hitchcock girl that matters or whatever, he says there at the end. I got choked up. I'm like, oh, good for you, Hitch, because like, like you and kudos again, kudos big time to Anthony Hopkins. Always an amazing actor, and he was Alfred Hitchcock in this. There's a few times where I'm like. Okay, that's a little bit more um, Anthony Hopkins than Alfred Hitchcock, but like a lot of it, I was I was sucked in. That, that I'm watching Alfred Hitchcock. For real. But beyond that, there's there's other great little acting moments, like when she does rip him a new asshole at the dinner table, and how Hitchcock he has to play Hitchcock always so stoic and unemotional, but yet. You can tell in his eyes in that moment he doesn't say anything when she walks out of the room, and you could tell in his eyes like, "Oh man, I fucked up. I I am an asshole, and that is yeah. the most important person to me that just walked out of this room screaming at me." Um, and that's all just said in his eyes. You know, the fact that he can balance both that that stoic, unemotional pers- Hitchcock persona, and yet still have those little moments. Is what I really loved uh, in that performance, and really redeemed Hitchcock as a character in this movie for me. Especially, like Jason said before, he has an arc, and that's and that's where I, that's a lot of times where I have problems with movies, and I get so disinterested in them is when characters don't have don't learn anything. They don't have they don't have they don't go through any change, and I, whether it's real or not, based on any reality or not. In this movie, Hitchcock goes through an arc and goes through a change. And in this movie, he doesn't actually do the unforgivable deed of cheating. Yeah. and so It's all just being super flirtatious. Like, yeah, more than he well, should be, obviously. Obviously, and then, but... And then the wife, she probably flirts worse. Maybe with, you know, uh, her... Some well, of her behavior is a little questionable too, but... You know, yeah, so... It, it, he could come back from it in the movie because it didn't... Yeah. There's no point in no return for him right. in that. Even movie. though it was still wrong, but I know. think his most important line is that you know uh, he said something about Whit that Whitfield guy. He just goes, "He's uh, his script is nothing, you know, without you in it, you know." And you know, just goes, "And neither is my film, 
you know, he he, re- he truly admits that he he really needs her, and uh, well, it's true in the movie. Like the all the good ideas are not from him. You know, the memorable yeah. scenes. You know, like killing her off in <laughs> yeah, the first thirty, 30 minutes. minutes. That was her idea. You yeah. know, all the yeah. the music score for the shower scene. He didn't want any. Right. Some yeah. Else. I, that blew me away when I heard that. I was like, for real? <laughs> yeah, so a lot of the big moments weren't even him yeah. to prove where that, would that she... That, oh. Where would that shower scene be without, you know, can you imagine that? I mean, I can't. Mm. You know, without that Bar- Bernard mm. Herman. Check out the, the documentary. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, true. Talks a little bit about that. Um, For me... If I were to sum up a single moment of who I think Hitchcock is in this movie and who I, in my as a child, I always thought who Hitchcock was, as I guess maybe the persona, is that scene there at the end where Janet Lee goes into her dressing room and she screams and Alfred's, <laughs> Alfred's just straight-faced is like, oh, I told Norman's mother that she could use your dressing room. I hope you don't mind. And then that look that Janet gives gives him it just sums it all up for me you know like yes i think she even realized that he he was going a little far in his flirtation and whatnot but at the end of the day you know he's just he's just a you know it's just an ornery little shit yes and then the tv theme song kicks in that you've been waiting to hear and you're right like there. okay this feels good. oh that scene that scene that fourth wall scene at the end where he's talking to the camera and he's like talking about like his next venture, and and I don't know where it's going to come from, and that bird, bird comes oh, and lands on his awesome, shoulder. Right? So, it's just like that is that's straight out of Alfred Hitchcock presents the TV show. Yeah, yeah. So it was perfect yeah, yeah. that it goes into that music right there, and I loved it. I loved it. I did enjoy the Ed Gein stuff. Yeah. Even though I saw this after Gods and Monsters, and that's when I had that moment of like, is this getting <laughs> overused? But it's still it's it was kind of, it was still neat because. Because it's Ed, One, it's Ed Gein, and I just I love that that scene earlier on where it's all Ed Gein. I'm like, what am yeah. I watching? You're right. Like, we're watching the Ed Gein That's story right here. Movie. What? <laughs> and then Albert Hitchcock's just standing there in the house as the cops are showing up, just watching, just watching. And I, I don't know. I just that what I thought. I thought maybe okay, maybe I can say that this movie used that trope, if it's a trope, better than Gods and Monsters. Yeah. Um, even though I know the Gods and Monsters thing was definitely more of a um, a mental issue thing, but yeah. still, I, I I just really like those fourth wall moments in in this more than anything else. Scarlett Johansson. I mean, I've always been a fan of Scarlett Johansson, but I can I can honestly say you know, you know, it's always I'm always watching Scarlett Johansson, but in this I was watching Janet Lee. I was so impressed. Like, literally yeah. forgot she was in this movie, and when Janet Lee showed up, I'm like, that kind of looks like Scarlett Johansson. Like, <laughs> oh, shit, it is Scarlett. <laughs> I've never heard her speak um, in that high of a pitch and that upbeat before. She's she always, for Scarlett, she's always had kind of a lower range. octave in her, yeah, range in her voice, and always speaks a little more monotonely. But here she's like the total 50s, 60s Hollywood actress. And and I was just in sh- those scenes, I'm like, sh- I thought I was watching Janet Lee. I thought I was so impressed with her performance and her look in this movie. She did an outstanding job. The only thing I 
personally would want a little bit more of would be more of actually making making the movie. But that's oh, just yeah. me personally. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. just me personally. Because I feel like Ed Wood gave us so much of that, of those moments. Yeah. And and for a movie like Psycho that was had things like the shower scene, that there's an hour and a half documentary about such a short moment in in the entire film that just shows to show the the meticulous articulation of putting this film together and how it was planned out and i just would love to have seen more the day of shooting some of those things and instead of instead of those those scenes servicing the other story like again we do see a little bit of shooting of the shower scene but it's it's more about alfred hitchcock and what's going on in his mind with his jealousy of thinking his wife is having an affair and whatnot and him fake stabbing at Janet Lee, which is like, we're all just like, whoa, whoa, calm down. Even he's like, oh, yeah. shit, what am I doing? <clears throat> and, but I'd rather see the other side of that. I want to see, like, the actual shooting of the scene for the scene and not it meaning, not about being this other part of the story. But anyway, that's Small Potatoes. This movie's great. Love it. I'm done. Ted, you haven't said much? Oh, no, I'm just sort of... Uh... Right. Wait, waiting for the break, but yeah, I love this one. It, this is not a first time watch for me. I own this on Blu-ray. Yeah, um, I bought it right when it came out. I didn't get to see it in theaters because I don't think it played here. I think it um, was a limited release because it's sort of a for a specific audience. But uh, the promotion of this movie is really cool too. I use uh, video all the time at the Capitol um, before almost any horror movie and. Really, any movie that I show that's not a kid's movie, uh, the studio put together a fun intro. And after watching this again, I realized that they didn't even really film the the intro. This intro, they uh, used just sort of um, clips from the actual movie and put it cleverly edited it together. But there's a really cool video I'll I'll share with you guys, and it. Basically, is is like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this fine theater. Uh, and it, it's basically like, a don't text or or call during this movie, or don't text or talk during this movie, um, because it'll make everyone psycho. Sincerely, emphatically, Alfred Hitchcock. It's really cool. I've been using it for probably like five years at the Capitol, hmm. and uh, it to me, it's just perfectly put together. But yeah, I love this. The performances. Like you said, I just sort of, oh, I don't even like really see the actors and actresses in it because I just that is Hitchcock, man. It's such a good portrayal of him. He just nails it. It's and he's one of the few directors like, if you showed me a picture of James Whale, just like a portrait of him, I wouldn't know who it was, but you know who Hitchcock is right away. Yeah. He has he was he was in on, like in everybody's living room every week, you know, for Alfred Hitchcock to <laughs> present. He's a household name. He's probably he's, the, those, he's probably the only director in history that has a recognizable silhouette. Right, he's more known than some of his films. You know, like it's just oh, yeah. it doesn't happen very often where you know a director is is a household name. There's only a handful of those. So it to cast and do the makeup so perfectly and, and nail that performance. Um, and I do appreciate, you know, like I said, I love that Ed Wood was so positive and upbeat. I, I can't appreciate that. They were a little, or pretty honest with 
how they portrayed portrayed uh, Hitchcock and made him a little bit more of a dickhead and didn't just gloss over and make him like a funny whimsical dude. Um, and I like that it covered more than maybe just the tail end of his career. You know, it showed us like the prime, like everybody wants to see this part of his career. So I think it's great. I really enjoy it. Yeah, the story of getting Psycho made is a cool mm-hmm. story. That's not a normal thing. Oh, the one other one other moment I forgot to mention that kind of made me tear up a little bit is that scene at the premiere of Psycho. That's what I was going to say. Not tear up, but that was my favorite moment of him conducting the music out in the... the, conduct, the conduct, conducting the music, conducting the screams. Oh, fuck. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. Because I mean, you could just know he just was like... That had that was the moment. That yeah. is the moment of whether or not this movie's gonna work or not. Yeah. I I do wanna mention that I really, really enjoyed the beginning and how they set it up because it's just Ed Gein and his brother and um uh basically Hitch says, you know, this is basically the catalyst of what started Psycho. Mm-hmm. Um because I mean Ed Gein's it speculated that he killed his brother out there you know and if he had hadn't killed his brother now think about that you know we wouldn't he wouldn't have gone on his killing rampage after his mother died and all this and that and then you wouldn't have the basis of psycho you wouldn't have the basis for silence of the lambs you wouldn't have the basis for the texas chainsaw massacre you would not have like what comes back to that guy you wouldn't have ed gein starring kane hunter (laughs) <laughs> yeah, oh, well, or Steve Railsback. Um, <laughs> but, but, I mean, it all, it all, you know, I mean, I hate to be, you know, <laughs> should I be thanking this guy <laughs> right now? I mean, this is weird because I'm, it's like, I'm, I'm sorry your brother had to die, but, um, yeah, you, you made some damn good movies. <laughs> okay, so, with that, I was... <laughs> It's not wrong. It's a weird. No, it's, thing. yeah, exactly. It's, oh, it's a it's a weird feeling, and it's you know? cool. This now we all know why I had Ed Gein on my trapper keeper in high yep. school. Kind of makes sense. <laughs> all right. Was there anything else about Hitchcock? That's all, that's all I got. I uh, watch watch all three of these movies. Um, Ed, uh, uh, Hitchcock and uh, Ed Wood, especially. Yeah, learn more about your horror movie directors. You know, yes. the Insane Mike biopic will be out soon. <laughs> um, who would play Mike? Ooh. Oh, Jesus. We know who he wants to play him. Who do I want to play me? Scarlett Johansson. Yep. Yep. She's good. <laughs> My boobs with the high, are bigger. With the, high pit, with the high-pitched voice. <laughs> Yeah, leave comments to who you think. Who, who you think yeah. should play me in a biopic? <laughs> oh, <Jesus>. Please. <laughs> anyway, the first one to say Stephen Root will like not be allowed to listen to the show Brian anymore. O'Halloran. What's that? Brian O'Halloran. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd take that. Okay. Let's move on. Yes, please. <laughs> All right, is we're going to take a break, and when we come back, it'll be segments time here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. Be right back. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. 
home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. And we're back, and it is shout-outs time, and, well, it's segments time, <laughs> and we're going to start off with shout-outs. So, Jason? It's time for... Shout-outs! Yeah, so it's time for segments with <laughs> shout-outs time. Here we go. So we just asked what your favorite horror-ish related biopic movie was, and we got a few responses. Um, in our Facebook group, the group edition, uh, Trevor McElhenney says, Gods and Monsters, Ed Wood. And while not technically a biopic, I'm going to throw out Stuart Gordon's The Black Cat because it does use a lot of Edgar Allan Poe's life in it. Nice. That's a good one. It's pretty good, Trevor. Pretty good. Um, and then on our Facebook page, we got Tim Lennerer. Says, Telstar, the Joe Meek story, of course. Of course. Meek, Joe Meek? Meek was the songwriter and producer behind She's Fallen in Love with the Monster Man, Jack the Ripper, and Till the Following Night by Screaming Lord Such, Night of the Vampire, and There's Something at the Bottom of the Well by Moon Trekkers, The Spooky Walks by The Spooks, and of course John Layton's Johnny Remember Me with a chorus that sounds like he somehow taped a motherfucking banshee in 1960. <laughs> Essential viewing, an unjustly ignored classic, and a special effect at the end that could have been in Maniac. Ooh, interesting. Heinz, I may have to check that out because I never, you know, yeah. everybody goes like actors or, or directors, you know, not songwriters. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and he says. Uh, Heinz Burt, the bassist for the Tornadoes, had a death disc tribute to the summertime blues legend Eddie Cochran called Just Like Eddie. Oh. Um, he was a natural blonde, but Meek had him dye his hair super platinum white blonde because he wanted Heinz to look like one of the creepy alien hybrid kids from Village of the Damned. Cool. Tim, Tim says, y'all need Joe Meek in your life is what I'm saying. I kind of do. Right? Thanks. Then our good buddy Brian Clark says, Ed Wood is one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. Touche. Dolomite is my name. While not exactly horror-related, is sort of adjacent in the exploitation world since Rudy Ray Moore did once uh, make a movie where he fought the devil. (laughs) There we go. And, uh... Tim jumps back in. Co-signed for both. Ed Wood is unquestionably Tim Burton's best. Dolomite is My Name was written by the same screenwriters and has a touchingly vulnerable performance by Eddie Murphy. Agreed. Y'all still need Joe Meek in your life. (laughs) Brian once called him the Andy Milligan of rock and roll, and he was right. Oh, my. 
Awesome. I'm getting sold more and more. I know, right? And then lastly on Facebook, Eric Garland says Cropsy. Okay. You do come upstate New York, I yeah, think. That's more of an urban legend thing. Yep. Yeah. And it's more of a documentary. Because we could have done documentaries till the cows come home. Right. So a lot of great. Oh, wow. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and then um, uh, there's nothing on Twitter, nothing on Instagram. Uh-huh. But uh, over on Patreon, our attacker, Brian Godsell, says, I don't think you can talk about biopic horror movies and not talk about Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Hmm. Okay, I see where we're. I see where we're going. Okay, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, that's what we got for shoutouts. My honorable mentions. Oh, would would were and I was gonna see if anybody mentioned them. That's why I didn't. Um, because uh, they almost made the list. Like Shadow of the Vampire. But oh. you want to talk about taking liberties in your story? Yeah. <laughs> um, and plus, I think we've talked about it at nauseum on the show before. Um. But then there was also the James Cagney movie, uh, Man of a Thousand Faces, the Lon Chaney Sr. biopic, is really, really good. We wouldn't have Tom Savini if it wasn't for that movie, because he saw that movie, and that's what got him interested in special makeup effects. Hmm. So there we go. So what else is going on? That's it. That's shout-outs, yo. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Gary Busey. Now, I have been in direct communication with the dancing pickle of the cosmos. <laughs> has told me to come down here and talk to you, the attackers. Now, I put everything I can into a role. When I was Buddy Holly, I learned all his songs. When I was in Point Break, I learned how to be an FBI agent. When I was in, was it Silver Bullet? I sexually assaulted myself with a bottle of wine. (laughs) When I was in Canine, I snorted coke off the dog to learn to be how a drug sniffing dog would be. Now, oh wait, wait, oh. I'm being told that was James Belushi. Anyway, I I snorted coke off of James Belushi. (laughs) Right now, I'm putting myself out there. I want to be... I want to be the Attack of the Killer podcast's official mascot. That's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be... That's my role now. So, right now, I give to you Insane Mike's Picks. Thank you, Ginger Dead Man. <laughs> uh, okay, <clears throat> I can't follow that. Um, so, in Saints picks for this episode, pulling, dusting off a uh, a classic, a favorite of mine from 1988. It's a sequel. That's right, Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Ten years ago, a motion picture became the most notorious cult movie of all time. Predictably, the French called it a masterpiece. The name of this legend of cinema. The Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. It was so stupid, so cheap, 
such a piece of steaming dog flop. You think it would have attracted horse flies. Never an audience. Now, get ready to sit on your intelligence once again. They made the sequel, The Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Guess what? It's a lot better. It had to be. As you remember, ten years ago, mankind was threatened with the greatest red menace of all. Angry, merciless, killer tomatoes. We were only saved thanks to the heroism of a brave handful of untalented actors. Are you Rob Lowe? No, they're back. This time, we shall not fail! <laughs> a mad scientist. My tomatoes can be made to resemble anyone. Together with a yuppie pervert, turn embittered, mean-spirited tomatoes into an army of psychotic, neo-Nazi plant life. And let's not forget the stunning hell-spawned creation who just might put out for the entire planet. Do you want to make love? Yeah, I want. I also cook 815 international dishes and use all the popular home appliances. You'll see atrocities beyond belief. Your feet do the words fat cow mean anything to you? You'll see how producers extracted special favors from certain well-endowed performers. It's got more laughs than out of Africa. It's gayer than Kiss of the Spider Woman. Hello? The girl of my dreams is a vegetable. She! You wouldn't believe what she can do with six milk bottles and a tuning fork. <laughs> The return of the Killer Tomatoes. It's definitely a learning experience. Oh. Yeah. Uh, sequel to 1978's classic bad movie, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and Attack of the Killer Tomatoes actually, honestly, being one of my all-time favorite movies. Written and directed by John DeBello, who directed all four of the Killer Tomato movies. And he only directed one other movie in his career, um, which uh, came out between Attack and Return, called Happy Hour, which is the uh, same, same style of comedy as, as all the tomato movies. Uh, it's also written by um, Costa Dillon, who, played, who um, was also one of the writers of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and he plays six parts in Return of the... Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Seven, if you count the flashback to the footage from Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, where he played the guy in the library that says, Tomato. Also written by J. Stephen Peace, who played Lieutenant Wilbur Finletter in both the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and Return of the Killer Tomatoes. And then Stephen and Rich. Now, the first... The first three guys I mentioned make up the um, Four Squares Production Company, and they have all been friends working together, dating all the way back to the original, original Super 8 short film, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, before the feature was made. Now, Return of the Killer Tomatoes stars Anthony Stark, who uh, I remember most from Re-Re-Repossessed, uh, George Clooney, yes, that George Clooney, uh, Karen Waldron, who was in Cannibal Women and the Avocado Jungle of Death. Uh, Steve Lindquist, who played Igor in the all three Killer Tomato sequels. And Rick Walk Rockwell, who played other characters in two of the other Killer Tomato sequels, um, but is probably best known for the 2000 TV special, Who Wants to Marry a Multimillionaire? And then, of course, last but of course not least, 
John motherfucking Aston, Gomez Adams himself, also played the Judge and Frighteners as Professor Mortimer Gangrene in the three Killer Tomato sequels, but also Dr. Putrid T. Gangrene in the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes cartoon. So, the movie itself, the plot, uh, it has been years since the Great Tomato War, and life has gotten back to normal for the most part, except for that tomatoes are now outlawed. Chad, played by Anthony Stark, works with works at his uncle Finletter's pizza place with his roommate and best friend Matt, played by George Clooney. His uncle just happens to be Lieutenant Wilbur Finletter, the hero from the Great Tomato War from the first movie, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Chad delivers pizza to the home of evil gangrene and meets the girl of his dreams, Tara. However, Tara isn't who she appears to be. Because Professor Gangrene has created a way to turn tomatoes into people using toxic waste. Tara, Gangrene's servant, decides to escape Gangrene with the fuzzy mutant tomato FT and seeks refuge with Chad. And uh, Dr. Gang Professor Gangrene teams up with the bad guy from the first film, um, played by Rick Rock Rockwell, the ex-presidential uh, uh, aide um, who is currently in jail, in prison. <clears throat> and their plan is to take over the world with these tomato men. And it's up to Chad and, and Tara and FT and Matt and Finletter and some of his old buddies from the Great Tomato War to take down Gangrene and his evil plan. This movie's hilarious. I love it. It's got so many fourth wall breaking moments. It's like the moment where they stop production on the movie because they've ran out of money. So George Clooney has the idea for product placement and they do a five minute scene of just five of product placement within the pizza parlor. Um, even so much so there's a uh, moment where there's uh, two talking heads talking in a scene and somebody puts a box of cornflakes right in front of them so you can't even see the actors all you see is the cornflakes <laughs> it's stuff like that it's freaking hilarious and i love it um like this fourth wall breaking throughout this whole movie and that's kind of always been a staple in um in john DeBello's humor uh in all of these movies is just continually breaking the fourth wall um uh, but uh, there's other there's other type of gags in the, in these in these movies as well. Another really um, really funny gag uh, in this movie is um, uh, there's a scene where they're we're watching sports on TV and it's 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 a it's um, it's a, a sailing competition, but it it shows like footage of this of these boats actually sailing in this competition, and the other boat that's competing is a pirate ship that's like shooting cannons at them and stuff. And it's just it's just constantly gag after gag after gag through this whole movie. Igor is a hilarious character because he's a he's not what you think when you when you call somebody Igor and he's the assistant to a mad scientist. He actually is this tall blonde guy who has dreams of being a newscaster, and he drives around in a garbage truck. So there's a really funny scene at a restaurant where um, he's following Chad and Tara, uh, who are on the state, and when they leave, uh, he goes to the valet to get his 
to get his uh, garbage truck, and the guy pulls up at the garbage truck, and he's like, that's not mine! Like, there's more than one garbage truck in the valet, so it's it's a hilarious movie. I think it's, in my opinion, as much of a fan I am of the original Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, Return of the Killer Tomatoes is the best out of the four. Um, they really kind of fall apart after that. Killer Tomatoes Strike Back is 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 okay. It's so so, um, but I'm not. I'm, and but Rick Rockwell's the star of that one, and I'm not a fan of him at all. And so less screen time of him, the better. Killer Tomatoes Eat France is a little bit better than Strikes Back, um, mostly because uh, Mark Price is the star of that one. So it's always cool getting him back uh, in front of the camera. <clears throat> Um, I am fascinated with this movie in particular. Like, how can a movie that has been considered one of the worst movies of all time get a sequel ten years later and has people like George Clooney and John Astin in it? Um, like, I mean, granted, George Clooney wasn't anywhere near what he is today, but he had still been doing TV for quite a while. He was on Facts of Life regularly at that time. Um, so, so he wasn't a complete nobody when he made this movie. So how did, how did a sequel to Attack of the Killer Tomatoes get George Clooney and John Astin in it? And not only that, but John Astin continuing on with the series. He was in all three sequels and did the voice huh. of his own character in the cartoon series. And as a matter of fact, how in the hell did this franchise get a cartoon series? And as a matter of fact, that, there was a toy line and video games and all kinds of product place, product based off of one of the worst movies of all time. How did it ever get past the first movie? How did any of this happen? I don't know, but I'm a thousand percent grateful because I love Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and I really love, 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 love Return of the Killer Tomatoes. So that's it for Insane's Pick. This episode, 1988's Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Oh, one more thing I <laughs> almost forgot to mention. Sorry. If you need to see this movie, because you do, um, uh, Vinegar Syndrome did the Blu-ray release a couple years back. So you need to check out. I still need to get that Blu-ray personally. I, I don't even have it still. But, uh, but that's a must for any Killer Tomato fan. Now I'm done. Man, seriously, how did anything get past that first movie? <laughs> I mean, it took ten years, but still. Yeah, and it's crazy. Yep. It is our show's namesake, though. That's true. Our, na- our name of the movie comes comes from that. It just goes to show you how much I love it. Anyway, that's it for this episode. That was, that was a fun one. Um, you know, uh... Anytime I can talk about Ed Wood, nah, it's cool in my book. Uh-huh. So uh, that's it for this episode. I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank the crew for being on another awesome episode. Thanks and, again. Yeah, you bet. And we'll talk to you all on the next episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Oh no, could this be the end of? <laughs> Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attack of the Killer Podcast.